have the honor of introducing Brandon as he comes and speaks to us. Let's welcome him. Well, good morning. As Dave said, my name is Brandon. I'm uh, one of the elders here at Heart of the Father. I've been... Uh, been getting baptized into two and a half, three hour meetings on Saturday mornings with the elders. It's been good. It's been good. And uh, my wife, um, she's about to give birth probably anytime soon. We had a, um, it was a Tuesday morning, or Tuesday yeah, morning, we had a, she was uh, having, she thought some contractions and thinking, well, I'm preaching this week. Could you maybe hold off or... I don't know, so I told Barry this week, I said, Barry, be on standby. I may have to call you in, pull an audible, and we'll be giving birth to a baby. So if you see her running out of here at any time, you know what? I may have to jump down here and somebody can finish up or something. I don't know. Awesome, awesome. Well, um, I'm excited to share this morning with everyone. I, I do feel like the Lord has given me a word for our body. So I do want to be faithful and, and to, uh, to release what, I, what he's been speaking to me. This, I would say in the season of life, uh, maybe the past couple of months, or maybe the last month or so, I feel like for me personally, I've been in a season where the Lord is delivering me from fears. Been delivering me from fears, and he reminded me this morning when he first saved me and I knew that he was calling me into the full-time ministry and how much I resisted and did not want to do it and how much fear I had in my life and I was unsure what it would look like or what to do and he was reminding me this morning he said Brandon didn't I do it wasn't I faithful and I said yes Lord you were and so I said I'll do whatever you want me to do it's okay, Lord, what people think about me. It's okay, the opinions of man, because it's really about you anyways, Lord. So when people have their eyes on me, it's like, why are you looking at me? Look at Jesus. So he's been delivering me from myself, and it's been really good. And, um, you know, the Bible says, perfect love cast out fear. And so I've been learning God's love is fearless. And when it's on the inside of you, and you're facing a situation and you want to overcome it, a lot of times fear looks like that, this concrete wall right here. You're facing fear and it's like, how do I get through that? How do I get around it? I can't, it's, it's brick, it's solid. But really what fear, it may look like a brick wall, but really it's like the curtain over here. And you just slip on right past it. And so don't let the devil trick any of you in here. We need to be aware of his schemes. Amen? Amen. Amen. I feel that over our body, too. The Lord is delivering our body from fear. Let's pray, and I want to dive into the word this morning. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for who you are. And Lord, I thank you, God, that you are moving in our midst. And Lord, I thank you that upon your heart, you have justice. Lord, that you are coming and that you have already come to do a work in us, Lord. I pray that you would begin to right the wrongs in our lives. Would you right the wrongs in our community? Lord, would you mark us? Would you 
Put your presence and your spirit upon us in a fresh new way this morning. God, I pray and I ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who you are. God, we want to see you this morning. I pray we would see who you are, who you really are. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So about three weeks ago, Jeremiah shared a message on abortion, and he went after that pretty hardcore. And then uh, two weeks ago, the following week, Barry, uh, he spoke on prayer and a, a, a weapon that we have concerning the issue of abortion. And so um, as I've been praying, I feel like the Lord wants me to, to stay somewhat in this vein of abortion, but more so the issue of uh, social justice. And the Lord has been speaking to me over and over again. He's saying to me, he says, I have justice written upon my heart. He says, I have justice written upon my heart. And justice is a person. His name is Jesus. And so I want to go after that this morning. The title of my message, if you're taking notes, it's called He Has Justice Written Upon His Heart. There are three parts or three phases to this, I believe. He has justice written upon, upon his heart is phase number one. Phase number two is that he has written justice upon your heart and my heart. And then part three is that he has written justice upon the church. And so we're going to look at these three dynamics and what this looks like, but we really have to start with looking at the Lord. There are a lot of definitions. There are a lot of thoughts about what justice is. But if we, we have to start with the Lord and what is upon his heart and what he says justice is. We do outreaches and we have a lot of things going on here at the church. We, you know, we have um, the women's ministry, what they're doing with the issue of abortion. We have a, a team that goes out to the Dream Center, reaching out to the lost and doing all these things. But most of the time, the reason we're burned out or we quit and we give up early is because we do not see the justice written upon his heart. We get in the zone where we're seeing, we're, we're focusing maybe on our lives and we're doing our thing. And then it's like, oh gosh, I'm tired. I need to, I need to give up. I need not, not to go so much to this outreach, to that outreach. And we fail to see what is on the father's heart in this hour. What is he saying and what does he want to do? So I have a couple, um, I want to say a, a biblical, what I would say a biblical definition of the word justice. What is God's justice? What does the Bible say about justice? Um, if you're taking notes, I would write this one down. The first one I'll say is this. Biblical justice, God's justice, it is God's divine law that has been given and executed. It is his decree, it is his legal decision, it is his proclamation, what he says, and then it is executed. His justice is just not him saying something and then sitting back, but he actually goes forth and he executes it. He will fulfill it. That's more of a formal definition of justice. A couple other ones that maybe some of us are familiar with, uh, Mike Bickle says this, he he relates God's justice to this, is that it's the removal of anything that hinders love. Anything that hinders agape love. 
God will come forth in justice and remove that very thing that hinders his love flowing and moving. And then the third definition I have here, it's very simple. I think a lot of us will maybe grab onto this one. Justice, it is making wrong things right. So you can look at your personal life, you can look at your family life, you can look at your friends and your relationships, you can look at within a city, you can look at in the earth. God's justice is him coming to make the wrong things right again. And so when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, what are we saying? We're saying, God, your justice come. Your son Jesus come, manifest himself, and make everything wrong right again. And that's our goal, and that's our focus as believers. I know we're, we want the Lord to come and just take us away and everything will be good. But we have a mission here while we're still on the earth. And I believe the Lord is calling Heart of the Father to the forefront of this. We've been going after the issue of abortion. But today, I'm telling you, he's calling us not to just talk about it, but we have to do something about it. He has justice written upon his heart. It's more than voting. Let's vote. Amen. Let's do it. But it's more than that. Voting, we're exercising our American right. I want to do that. But the Lord has given us biblical rights to do too. And so whether it's going out to the poor and, and giving a child a cup of cold water, you're making something that's wrong right. Or if it's the issue of abortion and standing up, you're taking something wrong, abortion, and you're making it right by saving a life or going in with the, the heart of adoption. And so... Open up to Isaiah 1, the book of Isaiah has the most messianic prophecies in all the books of the Bible, and also too, he talks about the issue of justice more than any book in the Bible. But before we get into that, when I was on the trip last year, we went to Iraq, the Mesopotamia House of Prayer. And we were in a meeting. There was a guy, Neil. He was one of the leaders there. And he began to talk about some of the statistics concerning ISIS and how ISIS had been, ISIS had been running through the land. And because of ISIS, there were 19,000 orphans because they would go to a city, rape the women, move on to the next one. He said there were literally 19,000 orphans in the Middle East. And so my heart, obviously my heart was struck with that. And I'm praying and I'm seeking the Lord and just like, Lord, this is, this is unserved. This is unthinkable. What are we supposed to do? What's your heart? What are you thinking? And the Lord began to show me how deep within his heart, we know the scripture says the spirit searches the deep things of God. But deep within his heart, the Holy Spirit, it was like he took me in a journey, took me to the deepest place in the Father's heart, and there lies the issue of the orphans and the widows and the poor and the oppressed. And I saw that, and it made me realize that it's not really in my heart. I know it's a good cause, 
the orphans, the widows, the poor, the oppressed. It's a good cause. It's a good thing. Just show up to the outreach. Just, you know, serve and do your thing and then, you know, go home and it's okay. And, and so we'll do enough just to kind of ease our, you know, our, our guilty conscience. Just do enough just to kind of say, Lord, I did it. That was enough. But the Lord showed me, Brandon, this is an issue that is written deeply on my heart. You don't have it written on your heart, but I want to invite you to come and begin to do that. And so even as even Lou Engel was here a couple of months ago, to be honest with you, I'm still trying to connect my heart to the issue of abortion. Can I just be honest? Or are we all there? I'm not there yet. I'm still looking at the Father's heart saying, show me your heart for this issue. I want it to really be in here because I can give the money. I can show up to the event. I can do whatever we need to do. But really, he's looking at my heart, and I want it deep within my heart. Proverbs 23, 23. This has been the verse of my week. You don't have to turn there. But it says this, my son, my daughter, give me your heart. And let your eyes observe my ways. So I've been sitting in the office, Lord, I give you my heart. I want the eyes of my heart to observe who you are and what you're like. And so we're looking at Isaiah. You look at the, throughout the history of God's people, there's a lot of ups and downs, a lot of good times, a lot of bad times. But I've noticed in looking in the scriptures, and we're going to look at several of them today, starting with the book of Isaiah, in the bad times, there's always something the Father puts his finger on with his people. Yes, he addresses sin and all of those things, but there's something else that's in the mix that he puts his finger on that brings him deep displeasure. Isaiah 1, verse 2, 2 through 6 says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people do not consider. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, brought of evil doers, children who are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. And have turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again? You revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and petrifying sores, they have not been closed nor, or bound up or soothed with ointment. Go to verse 13. So the Lord is addressing his people goes on to say, bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of the assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meetings. Your new moons, your appointed feast. My soul hates. They are troubled to me. I'm weary of bearing them. Verse 15, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make Many prayers I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. 
Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Last verse here, verse 21, he says, How, how the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Now, I know that's a mouthful of the Lord confronting his people, but did you notice in verse 17 what he says? Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. This paints a picture of the Lord coming to address the, the wrong things and part of him making the wrong things right is speaking to us and revealing to us what is on his heart. And so I see two things in this passage. He's calling his people to come to him to repent of their sins and to be cleansed and then to go forth and to do righteousness and justice. Isaiah 28, it says justice is the measuring line, righteousness is the plumb line. A plumb line. I was looking, what a, looking up this week what a plumb line was, and it's literally an instrument they drop down next to a building or some kind of structure to make sure it's actually straight. And so here at Heart of the Father, I, I believe the Lord is dropping a plumb line. It's his righteousness. It's his son to see how straight we really are. Because we can go to the events and we can have the meetings. But if the orphans and the widows and the poor among us, if we overlook them, the Lord is not pleased with that. Would, would this be our Achilles heel? Is this, is this, it could be in my life too, is this the Achilles heel in your life? We can pray, we can fast, we can seek God, we can just do whatever. We can be running hard after him. And yet he's just saying, hey, slow down. There's someone over there who's poor and oppressed. Just go talk to him. And you know, I've been, as I've been studying the issue of justice, it doesn't take a whole lot of spiritual gifts. It doesn't take this huge anointing upon your life to go and do it. But what it does take, it does take an anointed heart. If your heart is not anointed with his heart, every time something comes up, Oh, man. Oh, gosh, they're calling me again. Oh, gosh. Those things will begin to frustrate you. It happens to me. We all know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. A lot of issues of sexual immorality. And sin, but in Ezekiel 16, here's what the Lord says his perspective of Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness, 
and neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. It goes on to say, and they were haughty and they committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. So he says they're lazy, they're overeating, they're prideful, and they don't even look at the poor and the oppressed. They overlook them. Amos, Micah, Hosea. He does the same thing throughout these prophets, all throughout the history of Israel. It's just kind of weaved in and out there. If you don't look, you'll miss it. Amos, he says this, I hate, I despise your feast, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened offerings as peace. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your string instruments, but let justice Run down like water in righteousness like a mighty stream. Micah. Here's what he says in Micah. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So we can come in here this morning and say, Lord, I'll give you the offering, I'll give you this, I'll give you that, I surrender, I surrender everything. And then when he says, hey, love justice, love what's on my heart. I know we have our hopes and dreams, I know I have the calling of this and the calling of that, but have we stopped to look and say, Lord, what is on your heart? And this morning he's saying, justice is written on my heart. Are we executing justice in the city of Lakeland? Are we righting every wrong? Are we removing the things that hinder love in the city of Lakeland? Jesus even goes to the Pharisees and tells them too, hey, brother, you guys tithe. That's great, but you actually forsake the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faith. And he says, these things you ought to, ought to do without forsaking the others. But he says the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faith. In Luke 11, he says the same thing, but here's how he words it. He says, you have overlooked justice. And you have overlooked the love of God. That's powerful. You have overlooked, you're walking, you see someone oppressed, and you just look at them. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. The priests, the Levites, all the religious people saw the person oppressed and broken. Oh, they overlooked, and they just walked past. How many times do we do that throughout the week? We do it. <clears throat> and I'm not here to guilt make us feel bad. I've learned this. In making people feel bad or guilty or shame, it doesn't correct anything. Because you'll get fired up for a couple weeks, and then next thing you know, you're back to feeling shame and guilt and condemnation. But remember, phase number one, part number one, is that he has justice written upon his heart. We have to look at his heart first. If you look at your heart, you're going to see, oh, goodness, it's not in there. 
but it's in his heart first. So what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say the issue of justice is written upon his heart. And the Father is deeply concerned with our participation in this. He wants our full participation. So what does justice look like? I mentioned earlier, justice is a person. His name is Jesus. And the Bible says that he went around in 1 John, who was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. That's justice. Acts 10, 38 says that he was, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power to do good and to heal all those who are oppressed by the devil. That's the Father's justice. Jesus is true justice. It's not what we feel or what we think or just someone's opinion. It is his son. Do you agree with me? That wasn't very convincing. <laughs> Justice is his son, Jesus. We can, because we can be a part of every single movement in the earth. This is the issue with the humanistic movement, humanitarian cause. We go out there, we do good, we give someone a cup of cold water, and we leave. One pastor said, what we, when we do that, all we're doing is we're making them more comfortable on their way to hell. So if in your theology, if justice is not Jesus, then you can do all the good in the world, and you're just making people more comfortable, you're, they like you, and they're walking straight off the cliff. So is Jesus true justice? Go to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. keep our eyes on his heart don't turn inward on me just yet let's look at his heart for justice Isaiah 42 verses 1 through 4 <clears throat> behold my servant whom I uphold my elect one in whom my soul delights I have put my spirit upon him he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles he will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street a bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth. And the coastland shall wait for his law. Notice in verse 1, it says, My elect one in whom my soul delights, he will bring forth justice. As we've been on Wednesdays, I went out there a couple times to the abortion clinic to stand out there. And as I go out there, there's something in me at times that tells me what I'm doing is wrong. It just, Lord, are you really pleased with this? I, I believe you. I think you are. So I'm going to do it. But you look at verse 1. It says the father, his heart, it says he delights in justice. He delights in his son 
making the wrong things right. I know you and I, you and I at times may flinch. We may double, we question ourselves or think twice about that. But in the Father's heart, he does not flinch at making wrong things right. He does not, he's not budged or moved to remove anything that hinders love. This is not a negative subject. I know it may feel like a heavy message, but this is not a negative message. This is not a negative subject. If this is in the Father's heart, do we not want this in our hearts too? That is why I said part one, we're looking at his heart. Okay? He's not tempted to do evil. He's not tempted with wickedness. He does not budge at justice. It is in his heart to the very core. That's who he is. And so we go out to the abortion clinic. People are driving past, literally flicking, flicking us off, saying, F you, F you, all these things. And you begin to question, oh, oh, this is right, though. You have to convince yourself this is right. And we're going to continue to be a voice for truth. But I'm telling you, this is where the line in the sand is going to be drawn in every single church. Will you stand up for justice or will you not? The Father is speaking on this. Are we speaking on this? He's not quiet. He's not quiet. He's not shy about this. I know we may be at times, but the Lord is, as I mentioned earlier, he's delivering even me from fears. To be a voice for his truth and to say what he says. Proverbs 23, 23, my son, give me your heart. Let your eyes observe my ways. It starts with looking at him, looking at his ways. So he has justice written upon his heart. He also has justice written. Or he also has written justice upon our hearts. He has written justice upon your heart and my heart. This is where it gets more personal. As I was studying the word justice, there are a lot of other words that come into play that are connected with this word justice. One of the words is righteousness. Another word would be truth, holiness, judgment, peace, and mercy. Those words are all connected with the word justice, and there are other words too. But the word I want to focus on and look at real quick is the word righteousness. And so God's justice goes forth to impute or to establish righteousness. It's written upon his heart. He sends his son Jesus. Go and establish righteousness. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 28... If we could pull that up on the screen. Exodus 28, I want you to see this. Verse 15. Maybe not. I have it written here. Exodus 28, verse 15. Or sorry, verse 29. Verse 29 through 30. Or there it is. So you shall make the breastplate of judgment. Verse 29. So what he's saying, he's telling the priest, he's telling Aaron and Moses, there's going to be a breastplate of judgment. 
And here's what the priest will do. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over their heart. That's a key phrase. It's over their heart. When he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually, you shall put the breastplate of judgment. Next verse. Of the lights. Um, or, of Urim and Thummimim, I think that's how you say it, but it says, the other translation would be of the lights and perfections, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. How many of us would want to do that? Wear a breastplate of judgment over your heart, and it literally says judgment. Not many of us. Well, in the New, New Testament, New Covenant, what kind of breastplate are we wearing? Righteousness. Well, what happened? Old Testament wearing a breastplate of judgment. New Testament wearing a breastplate of righteousness. What happened was the father executed justice. He said, those who put their faith in my son Jesus, the judgment that was coming upon them is now on Jesus. We know the verse, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. So now we all walk around with the breastplate of righteousness, and it's over our hearts. He has written it over our hearts. So if you struggle with shame and condemnation and guilt, you need a revelation of this. You've taken off the breastplate of judgment. You have put it upon Christ and the Lord executed justice on his son so that he can establish righteousness in you upon the earth. So Jeremiah said a couple weeks ago, he said abortion, he, he said abortion fuels the demonization of a culture. Abortion fuels the demonization of a culture. But I want to tell us, acts of justice fuels the righteousness within a culture. So the devil is doing his thing. Abortion is fueling demonization in a culture, but adoption is fueling righteousness in our culture. Handing a cup of cold water to someone on the street that is executing righteousness. That is fueling and sending out waves of righteousness over our city. Just think of every single day we wake up, we're thinking, Lord, I'm coming to do your work and to do your will. Every time we commit an act of righteousness or justice and do his will, we are sending out something in the spirit realm. But for so long, we just kind of sit on our hands. We'll let the pastors and the preachers do all that. But the Lord has equipped you. He has written righteousness upon your heart. And he is sending you out into the harvest. Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What's interesting about that verse, he doesn't really say you have to start preaching just yet. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your 
and glorify your Father in heaven. When's the last time an unbeliever came before us and started glorifying God because of what we had just did? We didn't even have to preach just yet. Now, I know there are some of us who say, hey, just do the works and never open your mouth. We need to open our mouth, let them know the king we're serving. But justice, he has written it upon our hearts. We have to embrace this. It's already upon us. Will we start utilizing it? Will we execute it? Will we move forth in this? I want to read an encounter Rick Joyner had with the Lord. He goes before the Lord. He's before the judgment seat of Christ. And here's what happens. He says, I saw both a lion and a lamb, the shepherd and the bridegroom, but most of all, I now saw him as the judge. Even in the Lord's awesome presence, the comforter was so mightily with me that I was comfortable. It was clear that the Lord in no way wanted me to be uncomfortable. He only wanted me to know the truth. Human words are not adequate to describe how awesome or how relieving it was to stand before him. I had passed the point where I was concerned if the judgment was going to be good or bad. I just knew it would be right and that I could trust my judge. Is that the posture of our heart before the Lord concerning justice? In Psalm 119, it says a couple of times, my soul breaks with longing for your judgments all the time. I, remem I remembered your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Does our heart long for his truth more than us being right? He said he was before the Lord. He's like, I, I got past the whole thing if I'm going to be right or wrong. I actually love what he says more than anything, and that's what I want coming into my life. And so now, as believers, we can say, Lord, I invite your justice. I invite, can I be so bold to say, your judgments into my life. I'm telling you, when he begins to release his judgments into your life, you will begin to see how holy he is. But do we want to see that? Do we want that? Do we invite that into our life? I mean, this is what he's, Psalm 119, verse 20. I'll read it again in verse 52. My soul breaks with longings for your judgments at all times. I remembered your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. He took comfort in the Lord's judgment, in his justice, in his life. He invited, Lord, come and make the wrong things right in me. Start with me first. This may be the issue with, with some of the church where we want to go out into our culture and we want to bind, let's say, the spirit of murder. But then we come to church and Jesus says, if you hate your brother, you've committed what? Murder. We're trying to go out there and bind something that we're bound by in here, in other words. That's not a good transaction in the spirit realm. Yeah. 
We can ask Marie later if that's a, a, a good thing or a bad thing. That's probably not going to work. Lord, I invite your justice into my life. You will make the wrong things right. You will declare a decree over me. It's not, a, it's not a fearful thing. It's not a run, hide, he's going to hurt you, he's going to kill you, he's going to strike you dead. It's no, he's actually going to make you right again. Your motives, your actions, your word, the words of your mouth, he's actually going to begin to correct those and make those things right. Proverbs 23, 23, my son, give me your heart. Let your eyes observe my ways. So God has justice written upon his heart. He has written justice upon our hearts. Do you believe that? I think we're learning to embrace that. I think we're learning to embrace the judgments and the justice upon his heart. And so the last phase three here I want to talk about. He has written justice upon his church. Now this was probably one of the, one of the more unique dynamics I saw in scripture concerning the Lord writing justice upon his church. And so another word, as I mentioned already, associated with uh, justice is the word Judgment. And so God's justice occurs when his judgments are fulfilled. So he has a judgment going forth. It's fulfilled. It could be a judgment of wrath or a judgment of mercy. But whenever it goes forth and it's fulfilled, that is his justice. And looking at Revelation 6, Revelation 15, Revelation 19, I'm just going to read these. I want us to look at, hear some of the language of the people of God in Revelation. Revelation 6, it says this, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood or execute justice on behalf of our blood and on those who dwell on the earth. So there's a group of people who are crying out for this. Revelation 15, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who, had, who have had victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass having harps. And they sang the song of Moses. Again, this is a group of people singing the song of Moses, the servant of God. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. 
So the overcomers are celebrating this. This is not run, hide, oh gosh, church, cover your eyes because the Lord has to do something that maybe we don't agree with. We can actually, we as a body, as a church, we celebrate God's justice in the earth. We do not have to be ashamed about this. Revelation 19, last passage here. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, honor, power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. Because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, he has avenged or he has executed justice on her, on her the blood of his servants shed by her. And again they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. This should not be awkward for us. This should not be awkward for the church to celebrate God's justice. When I go and you go stand on the corner confronting the issue of abortion, it should not be awkward. For so long, it's been awkward for the church to stand up for anything righteous. We just, uh, we'll just let a couple people go to the front and they say it out loud and we'll just stand in the back. Call me when you need me. No, what would it look like if we came and had a service and just declared his judgments and his justice and celebrated it? And it was a positive thing. It wasn't a negative and like, oh gosh, God hates me. God hates us. No, this, he has justice written upon his heart. His name is Jesus. And he is coming to establish justice on the earth. So next time we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. You, you better know what you're praying. This is who he is. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be, oh, just close your eyes, cover your ears, just endure through this. No, it's actually celebrated in the Bible. Revelation, groups of people, multitudes, the elders, the creatures, they celebrate this. They love God for this. They worship God for this. Do you worship God for this reason? That he is bringing justice. Do you worship him? That he's going to use you to do this. I want to read it's a couple sentences. Martin Luther King Jr., we all know him. This is what it looks like when you put the Father's, what's on his heart, in front of what's on your heart. It says, Martin Luther King would subsequently describe St. Augustine, it was here in Florida, as the most lawless city I've been in. I've never seen this kind of wide open violence. Although he had been warned that his presence was not welcome, he still came to the city stating his preparedness. To die if death is the price I must pay to free my white brother and all my brothers and sisters from a permanent death of the spirit, then nothing can be more redemptive. He immediately set about rallying, rallying the troops with powerful speeches at prayer meetings. So a lot of us look at Martin Luther King as someone who came to free the black man, the black woman. But here he's saying, I actually came to free the white man and the white woman. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. If that means I'm in prison for setting you free, Lord, if that's your justice, I love it. I celebrate it. Is that your heart? Is that our heart as the church? I was talking to, to Nevo this past week. He said he's on the road to a, he wants to adopt five, five children. His oldest child is 19 years old. And the Lord first told him that. He's like, no, 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 I'm too, no, no, I'm not going to do that. But once again, if we want to confront the issue of abortion, we actually have to do something. We can talk about it, we can pray about it, but who's willing to adopt? Who's willing to fund or help partner with someone who's adopting to pay for some of those things? So we have a brother here in our midst who's saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I know I have some dreams and things I want to do, but Father, what is on your heart? Let's start there. I'm thinking about Dustin and Casey Whitney. They're flying to Colorado probably right now as I speak to try to get custody over the little boy. I'm sure they can probably save their money and just kind of, Eh, it's too much work. They've, pro- they've flown there and back probably four or five times. It's a hassle. It's a wrestle. It's a bur- all those things. But they might have a revelation of God's justice. And that it's actually important to him. And so even here, there's plenty of things. I think about something that is on my heart, is at the Dream Center. Isaac and some of the guys are going there. We, first time we went there, there was probably five, five guys, maybe. Now there's 30 kids coming. But here's, here's part of the issue. Isaac, he texts us. I need some help. Who can come? In other words, who has a revelation of what is written on the Father's heart? So if you feel guilty going to outreaches and going to this or to that, that's not what I'm saying. If you feel that way, what I am saying is you need a revelation of what is on his heart. On your heart, you probably want to go to the mall and go shopping. I get it. I I wrestled too. Final Four was playing last night. I'm here working on a message, looking at the game, and like, Lord, what's on your heart? Okay, here it is. For real. I'm being serious. But will, will we surrender to him? Will we surrender to what is important to the Father? I get, I mean, I had even one of the biggest challenges my wife and I faced in marriage. We get married in the first year, and, you know, we thought it was going to be, you know, chocolate and flowers and just all this stuff. And we realized, man, I, Brandon has all these hopes and dreams and all these, you know, things he wants to do. 
and it's in my little baggie. I've been carrying it for 25 years or so, I've been, you know, just my little life, all my hopes and dreams. And then she comes along, and, and she, you know, Allison has her hopes and dreams, and she has her little baggie, two of her hopes and dreams, and what she wants to do. And there was one night we got in an argument. I don't even know what it was about. We're sitting there in bed, and the Lord just began to tell me. He says, Brandon, you both need to let go of your individual bags and pick up your marriage bag. And the Lord told me that, and I'm like, no, uh-uh. <laughs> Lord, do you know the past 25 years, I got hopes and dreams. I got, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to just go for it. And you're telling me I got to let this little bag of idolatry go. Lord, are you sure? Because this marriage bag... <laughs> I don't know what's in there, but I know what's in here, and it's really important to me. And she's over there sitting, she was sitting to the right of me, so she's on her side. I ain't giving up nothing for him. And so finally, I said, babe, the Lord showed me this. This is what we have to do. And so I said it out loud, and I waited to say it until I actually meant it. I said, babe, I surrender my personal bag with all my hopes and dreams. I let go of it, and I pick up our marriage bag. And I actually meant it. I really did. I waited till I would mean it and was going to do it. And then I'm like, all right, babe, your turn. Come on, boo. You can do it. And so she's... It was probably a good two minutes, huh, baby? It was a while. She was really counting the cost. And then she did it, too. She's like, Lord, I surrender my personal bag. And I pick up my marriage bag. It's the same way with the Lord. We have all ambition and dreams and callings. And, man, I got 30 prophetic words of, like, the nations and the all those things. And we just carry it around. Just, Lord, this is my bag. And, you know, I surrender all. But just keep a couple things in here. Let me just keep my agenda. My agenda, my, my week. I want things in order and just... Things to flow. No one can come in and ask for help. No one can, if I see someone on the street, I know I'm on the way to church. Isn't that unusual? Run away to church and you see someone who needs help. Or is that just me? And we just drive right on past. <laughs> I give you permission. It's okay to be late to church to help someone. That's okay. You can be late to help someone. I want to read two quick stories here. I love stories. I think they help us. This is a story of the first century, second century church. And their acts of service, their acts of justice. It says this. <clears throat> Above all, 
The early Christians showed many practical expressions of love, such as caring for the poor, the widows and orphans, visiting those in prison, and showing compassion in times of earthquake, famine, or war. One particular expression of love that had a far-reaching effect was providing burial services for the poor, including the pagan poor. This lethal combination of unwavering faith in the face of death and loving acts of kindness threatened the very existence of pagan Rome. In fact, the pagan leaders felt so threatened by these early Christians that they actually branded them as atheists because of their godless, imageless worship. Emperor Julian, hoping to restore Rome to its pagan roots and finally be rid of the Christians, gave us some clues about how early Christianity spread when he said this. He, Julian, the emperor, he called Christianity atheism. It says, Atheum, atheism has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Christians care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. That's how the early church spread the gospel, was helping those who could not help themselves the emperor is thinking our people are turning to them because they're actually getting help. So instead of the whole world voting for the politician, President Trump, to do all the work, what if they start coming to us because we're actually helping them? Hey, I voted. I voted. Hey, I voted for Trump, so he'll help the poor and the oppressed. I'll just go home. What if we actually get out there and they come to church because we... We're actually a blessing to someone. We're actually causing benefits to go into someone else's life. Last thing I want to read here. So in this encounter, Rick Joyner had before the Lord. He's standing before him again. This is the same encounter I read from earlier. But he says this. He says, I then looked back at the Lord and was astonished to see tears in his eyes. He had wiped the tears away from every eye here except his own. As a tear ran down his cheek, he caught it in his hand he then offered it to me. This is my cup. Will you drink it with me? There was no way I could refuse him as the Lord continued to look at me. I began to feel his great love. Even as foul as I was, he still loved me. As, unde as undeserving as I was, he wanted me to come close to him. Then he said this, I love all of these with a love that you cannot now understand. I also love all who were supposed to be here but did not come. I left the 99 to go after the one who was lost. My shepherds will not leave the one to go after the 99 who are still lost. I came to save the lost. Will you share my heart to go and save the lost? Will you help to fill this room? Will you help to fill these thrones and every other seat in this hall? 
Will you take up this quest to bring joy to heaven, to me and to my Father? Last paragraph. He took a cup so plain that it seemed out of place in a room of such glory, and he placed his tear in it. He then gave it to me. I have never tasted anything so bitter. I knew that I could in no way drink it all or even much of it, but I was determined to drink as much as I could. The Lord patiently waited until I finally erupted into such weeping that I felt like rivers of tears were flowing from me. I was crying for the lost, but even more, I was crying for the Lord. Father has justice on his heart. What do we have on ours? The invitation today is to begin to ask the Lord, Lord, show me what is on your heart. The Lord is calling us with Proverbs 23, 23. My son, my daughter, give me your heart. Let your eyes observe my ways. There's so much life in looking at him. We won't grow weary. We won't grow tired. We don't need to fear of, oh, God, what are you going to call me into? Or how much work is it going to take? But it's our, our, our heart posture should be this. Lord, if I see what's in your heart, that will sustain me. If the worship team could come. This morning, that's our invitation. And so, can we just bow our heads for a minute? I feel like the Lord has given me a prophetic utterance. And then we'll let Brandon. Does my word not say, woe to those who call good evil and evil good? My people, I come to you today and I say, be on the alert. Be on the alert in this hour for the spirit of the Antichrist is raging in this nation and in the nations of the earth. When the spirit of the Antichrist rages, it will call what I call good evil and it will call what I call good evil or what I call evil good there's a spirit of confusion there's a spirit of perversion that's waging war upon the church and I have come to you today and said come up higher Come up into my counsel. 
Where are those who will stand in my counsel, who will listen for my word in my heart? God, we pledge allegiance to you today. Justice is justice, no matter the skin color. Justice is justice, no matter who's involved. Right is right, and wrong is wrong. God, I'm asking that you would deliver us from prejudice, that you would deliver us from racism. God, you would deliver us from anything in our lives that's not true discernment. The only blood that's thicker than water is the blood of Jesus. God, I ask that you would even now begin to do deal with things in our bloodline. I have felt a spirit of deliverance as Brandon has been ministering. God, if there are grandparents, if there are parents, if we have come from a line of racism, God, I ask that you would expose it right now in the name of Jesus. If there's bigotry where we come from, God, I ask that you would expose it right now. I really feel like the Lord is wanting us to understand this. There's a spirit of Antichrist Warring in America, calling good evil and evil good. There's a spirit of confusion that's resting upon people and it's attacking justice. People keep saying blood is thicker than water. In other words, if you're my friend and you're still lying, I'm going to take your side because you're my friend. If you're a family member and you're lying, I'm still going to take your side because you're... No, wrong is wrong and right is right. I pledge allegiance to justice, not skin color. I pledge allegiance to justice, not family members. But there's a deliverance. The Lord is delivering the church from racial prejudice. He's delivering the church from false allegiance and saying there's a plumb line that's being dropped in the church and it's not about choosing a political party. It's not about choosing a denomination. It's about choosing Christ. But we're in a spirit battle. I'm telling you, there's a spirit of an antichrist that's at work in America And we have to know how to wage war. 
And we wage war through intercession. We wage war through activism. Brandon. Isaiah 28. Through 16, it says, Therefore the Lord says, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Also, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. I want to open up our altars this morning for just us to see the Father's heart this morning that there are things that bring him deep displeasure and then there are things that bring him great joy and it's okay to celebrate what God celebrates and it's okay to mourn with what he mourns over so if you could stand just want to give a a little bit of time for us to engage the Lord, to ask him what is on his heart, for him to place what's upon him inside of us. So feel free to make your way to the altar. If you want to sit down, you can sit down or stand, you can stand, but I just want to give room for that.